0: If you enjoyed the channel and our video content and would like to support us, you can do this in a couple of ways. You can sign up to our Patreon site which is a monthly subscription to one of our four tiers, each giving you something different from early access interviews up to exclusive unseen footage. There's also the option of a one-off donation via PayPal which allows you the option to donate an amount of your choice. Both options really help to keep this channel going and to continue putting out regular content for you good folk. So please take a look at aircurrentviewtv forward slash donate and I thank you in advance. Thank you and enjoy. Well, Trevor, we have to talk about your time on the Ghana. How did this even come about?
1: Well, uh, it came about, I was um, a flying instructor. I was here at Manchester University Air Squadron. And uh, I received a phone call one day from my desk officer uh, personnel, asking me if I was still interested in going out to Antarctica. And I thought, excuse me? Uh, He said, well, you put on your um, uh, choices several years ago that you were interested in going and flying the uh, Twin Otter out in Antarctica. And I said, well, yes, I was at that time. Uh, but I'm no longer interested now." He said, oh okay then. And when I was coming up to the end of my time on the University Air Squadron uh, I was given my posting and my posting was to number 849 Naval Air Squadron at Lossiemouth flying the Gannet. Okay, fine, thank you very much. So I take myself off to uh, Lossiemouth and I'm introduced to this uh, rather large, ungainly looking aircraft called the Gannet, which was to be my um, aircraft of choice for the next few years.
0: Yeah, it's a very interesting aircraft, so let's talk a bit about it. So what was the role of the Gannet with the Royal Navy?
1: Right. The Gannet, when it first came into the Royal Navy, was an anti-submarine aircraft. So that was known as the AS-4. The Navy had a requirement for an airborne early warning aircraft, and the Gannet was modified with a huge radar underneath, and it would go off on patrol and mount uh, a cap. uh, uh, Forgive me, I've lost lost the track of the correct word there. Um, You would uh, direct the Phantoms. Uh, in air defense, or the buccaneers in some form of offensive work
0: let's talk about your ground training that was that difficult transitioning to i guess a prop aircraft piston aircraft
1: no um no it, it had propellers at the front but it had a jet engine it was an oh, extraordinary. it, it oh. was it was a double mamba it was a most interesting uh, arrangement <coughs> where <coughs> the the two propellers were coaxial, contra-rotating. So our normal arrangement was to take off with both going. You'd get on patrol and you'd shut one engine down so that you could loiter at lower speed. And every hour you'd swap the engines over to keep the oil uh, circulating. And it extended your time on patrol. So when we got to see uh, a normal Uh, recovery would be one hour, but for the Gannett it would be not less than two. You would do two rotations, if not longer than that, if required. But the training um, would be done on the uh, T-5, which was the converted uh, AS-4 aircraft. Mm. Um, Interesting enough, the instructor would be sitting in the rear seat couldn't see anything forward and there was a periscope mounted on the top and that was all that you had to look through in order to uh, do all your uh, instructing, which I subsequently found I would be doing myself.
0: (laughs) So was it just a two-man crew?
1: No, it was a three-man crew. One pilot and in the back would be the two, uh, in the Navy they were called observers, sitting side by side with their radar sets exactly the same radar sets as were in the uh, Shackleton uh, AS, uh, aew aircraft and it was exactly the same radar underneath uh, the aircraft as well
0: essentially were you just a pilot or did you have any input for the systems as well
1: No, you were just you were just the uh, the pilot you just uh, flew them to where they ever wanted to be um, and that was it um, I mean the, the interesting thing was that all the uh, training was done at uh, Lossy mouth uh, on the uh, the T five, and then you were converted onto the AEW three. Um, the interesting thing about the AEW three was that it's in order to get in, you had to have a small ladder out of the side of the aircraft, and then there were footholds all the way up the side of the aircraft, and it's rather like the story. If you don't get the foot correct when you're getting on a horse, you're facing the wrong way. It was the same with the gannet. If you didn't get the foot the correct way round, you'll be facing the wrong way trying to get into the cockpit.
0: Wow, so it wasn't even easy getting in and out of the aircraft.
1: (laughs) No, indeed. um, The the apocryphal story is that uh, when uh, Peter Twist was doing the test flying for it, for fairies, in his post-flight report, he said this aircraft is very difficult to get into I think you should make it impossible.
0: <laughs> that sums up the aircraft, I suppose.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, which is a bit unfair. I, it w- yes, it was the most ugliest looking aircraft, but it, it had a quaintness about it. And the sound of those double mambas going was really uh, r- really quite attractive.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. So you said that you did all your flying training up at Lossie. Was that because it was near the sea? Did you do all your training over sea, or was it overland as well?
1: Uh, both. Right. Uh, the fact that eight four nine was at Lossiemouth probably is purely historical because Lossiemouth was a Royal Naval station at one time, and then the Air Force took over, mm. and the Royal Navy were just a small little section on the airfield. Mm. Um, but um, you only saw the sea. You know there was the you know the the Murray Firth, and that was it. Mm.
0: So obviously the Gannet is a carrier-based aircraft, how did you start uh, training to land and take off on a carrier?
1: Right, for the Gannet there was no uh, take-off uh, practice at all, Mm. Um, uh, I'll come on to that in a moment. For landing, uh, on the threshold of the runway on one side at Lossiemouth, we had some white lines painted to uh, suggest this is the landing area on an aircraft carrier and we would just do a normal approach and thump the aircraft down into that square and that was it. I flew to America uh, to Washington on a VC-10 uh, and then went down to Norfolk in Virginia where I saw the ship for the first time HMS Arc Royal uh, and um, I walked onto Ark Royal and one day we were at sea and they said, there's an aircraft on the catapult, off you go oh, and that was it.
0: That was it? Really?
1: Into the air, yeah.
0: Wow. Oh, what was that like? What was the feeling like?
1: Uh, well after we landed back on, that was interesting because we went to Roosevelt Roads, which was um, uh, a US base in uh, Puerto Rico. Mm. and. Uh, i did some hot refueling Uh, it was it's a bit like going into a petrol station and leaving your engine on filling up with gas and off you go again it was quite interesting Mm -hmm. and i went back to mother hms art royal and um, shot a few uh, attempts at landing and then hooked on and that was it and afterwards the observers who were in the back presented me with a cassette which was a recording of the takeoff and the landing, and there is an awful lot of heavy breathing on it (laughs) and a few expletives as well.
0: I can imagine, I can imagine. So yeah, how did the aircraft handle? Because it looked, it didn't look like it could really shift around in the air. Uh, It
1: certainly was not um, agile, Uh, it didn't need to be, Uh, it had a particular role. Uh, It was quite interesting, up in the cockpit you felt as if you were on the bridge of a ship Mm. because you were so high up, And um, uh, we didn't have an ejection seat, but we had what they called an underwater seat. So if the aircraft crashed into the sea and sank, uh, it would automatically get rid of the canopy Mm -hmm. and it would inflate your uh, life uh, jacket and uh, spin you like a cork up to the surface. Mm -hmm. Um, No one ever waited to... Uh, see if it operated because that didn't operate until you got to a depth of 28 feet.
0: Oh God. <laughs> so uh, yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about life on the boat. What was it like? Uh, did you fly every day? Did you mingle with the other Phantom crews or the Buccaneer crews?
1: Yes. Uh, I mean, just going back, the reason why I in the Air Force went to the Navy is that the Navy uh, was. The, the plan was originally to get rid of all the aircraft carriers, mm. and they were cl- they closed down all their flying training schools. Mm. However, they kept one on, Ark Royal, but they didn't have the pilots for it, so they relied upon everybody else supplying them suppli- with pilots. Um, so, I was on eight four nine. Uh, there were Phantom pilots from the Air Force on eight nine two, and there were. Uh, uh, Buccaneer pilots on 809 uh, from the Air Force, so plus from the US uh, and from Australia. Mm. So it was quite a mixed bag of people that we had on, and we all mixed together, and uh, that was no problem. But of course the Navy had their own traditions, and uh, as far as they were concerned, the Air Force was the, very much the junior uh, service.
0: You <laughs> can imagine.
1: And I will come back onto to that a little bit later.
0: Absolutely. So was life on board difficult to get used to?
1: Uh, it was different. Um, my uh, quarters were uh, in, in a cramped uh, r- cabin where four of us uh, slept uh, underneath the flight deck. My bunk was actually on top of my wardrobe and in order to get into it I had to bring down the desktop, open a few drawers and climb and get onto the top. And once I was lying in my bunk, there was a large pipe just above my head and it had a piece of tape around saying steam. That was for the steam catapult. And I thought, if that bursts, I won't survive very long. No, absolutely not. However.
0: So yeah, so you didn't even have an easy time. Getting in the gun. It was hard, getting into your bunk was hard, so.
1: <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, it was very good. Uh, actually, when I was on, um, we ha- had the BBC uh, on filming that series, Sailor. Mm. I was actually airborne one day and I had a, a situation with the aircraft. We were in the Caribbean and I was climbing up through 8,000 feet and the front windscreen cracked, oh. just completely crazed over. So I couldn't see anything out of the front um, and uh, let Mother know what was uh, the situation and so they abandoned flying got the phantoms back on and the buccaneers back on and then i was invited to make an approach no problem seeing the ship until i came around onto finals when i couldn't see anything at all so um i was relying upon um just the idea if i couldn't see the ship i knew she was in the right place and i landed on there are four wires and you hope to get number 2 wire number 1 was too far back number 2 was ideal 3 was a little bit far forward and number 4 was definitely not the one to go for and you got graded um i'd had a mixed bag of landings anyway in the debrief for this uh, uh jack said uh well I've got to give you um, uh, full marks on that one. So I got a thumbs up. Oh, really? And I asked, did, did the BBC manage to get any of the film? And he said, well, no, because we thought you were going to crash on the deck. We uh, got them all out of the way. <laughs> so I didn't get a 15 minutes of fame. Oh,
0: well that's unfortunate. <laughs> Back aboard safely, that's the main thing. That was it. Exactly. So could you talk us through maybe a typical day of flying on the carrier?
1: Yeah, the first aircraft to get airborne on any uh, wave would be the Gannet, because you needed to get off to wherever. Then uh, it would be the uh, Buccaneers, <clears throat> and then the Phantoms. You would always have a plane guard, uh, which was the Wessex helicopter, mm-hmm. just in case anybody went into the drink. They also had the Seeking helicopters, uh, but the Seeking helicopters were doing other things. They were doing anti-submarine work, anti-shipping work. So you would go on station, you would direct the Phantoms for whatever uh, combat work they wanted to do, all the uh, uh, Buccaneers. Uh, they would go back to the ship and then the next lot would get airborne and you would do the same with them, mm. whatever. They would recover back on and you would be the last aircraft to get back on. Now. In order to take off and to land, the ship would be steaming into wind, Mm. for obvious reasons. The gannet being the last aircraft to get back on, and the naval types wanted to turn the ship where they wanted to go, would, as soon as the last buccaneer got back on, turn the ship to wherever they wanted to go. Which meant that you never had the wind over the deck when you came in on the gannet, and you were always coming through the smoke from the funnel. It was always great fun.
0: Sounds like you're almost forgotten.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So, was the Canon an all weather um, aircraft? Uh,
1: effectively, yes. Uh, the way that the Navy worked initially, when you joined the ship, uh, you would either fly on uh, or you would walk on. But let's say that uh, we were in the southwest approaches <coughs> and people were coming and they would practice landings to start off with with a diversion ashore and if they couldn't get on they would divert ashore uh, and then come back and have another go the next day Mm. eventually the ship would work up so that you could operate without a shore diversion but that would be purely day flying Right. they then got into night flying and what you would do is that you would go into what they call duskers That was as it was starting to get dark, so it was half light and half dark, give people uh, a chance to get on. And I was airborne and it was duskers. The only problem was that the the, uh, Buccaneers were having real difficulty getting on. And by the time I was allowed to get back on, it was night. So when I was debriefed, uh, Jack said, "Uh, congratulations, you are now night qualified. Oh, right. So suddenly I'm night qualified. Now the next thing with the Navy was that you could operate um, at night without a diversion. Mm. That was when it was really, really heavy, heavy stuff. The first thing that I had to get my head around when I went to the uh, ship was the idea that you didn't have to have fuel reserves. In the Air Force, you always think about your fuel reserves. In the Navy, the fuel reserve was for you to land next to the ship um, and be hoisted out by the helicopter. Wow. In other words, it was total flexibility. It was a completely different mindset.
0: Wow, that's crazy. And did you ever work with other nations uh, when you were on board, or was it just mainly the Phantoms and Buccaneers of the World Navy?
1: Oh, no. We were assigned to uh, the CNC uh, Atlantic Fleet. Uh, operating out of Norfolk, Virginia. So we, we were across uh, stateside quite a lot. We went down to South America and operated with the uh, Brazilians at one time. That was interesting, that was a one-off, because um, the Navy would operate, uh, exercise a thing called the Simonstown Agreement. Simonstown is a uh, South African uh, naval base. Um, but the government at the time said there was to be no contact with the South Africans Uh, because we are apartheid at the time. Uh, The Navy wanted to do an exercise in the South Atlantic and asked if it was all right if they could go to Brazil. And the government said, well, yeah, which was quite bizarre because the Brazilians had a uh, military junta in charge at the time, which uh, in many respects was uh, even worse than what was going on in South Africa. But hey.
0: That's great. And did you work with the E2 crews? I'm guessing it was like similar kind of platform. Uh,
1: in, in fact, uh, at the end of my time uh, with 849, I was assigned by the Navy to go out to San Diego uh, on the uh, Hawkeye. Oh, wow. However, the Air Force said, no, no, <laughs> we want you back.
0: Oh, that would have been a great little two. Uh,
1: that would have been rather interesting, yeah.
0: Definitely. So did you ever encounter, uh, encounter any Russians?
1: Oh, yes. Uh, we always had uh, uh, an intelligence gathering trawler off our rear end, um, usually about uh, a mile astern, a uh, very rusty hulk. And we got very friendly, as it were. I mean, uh, they would check all, anything that we chucked overboard, um, okay. like gash bags. Um, when we were doing night exercises, we would have to have a plane, uh, sorry, a ship guard, because the Wessex couldn't fly at night, and so we would have a frigate come in to the rear port stern, and uh, and that would be the job. We were on exercise, uh, one of these NATO exercises in the mid-Atlantic, and um, there was no frigate available, but we needed to be operating, and so. It was decided to invite Ivan to come up closer to operate as our plane guard and he was obviously very excited to be able to do that. We were excited because we could then continue flying and that was that, so where everybody was happy. The only problem that then happened was that we came into a very severe Atlantic, everything was battened down. We didn't get out for three days. Wow. When we eventually got out stuff had been swept off the uh, flight deck and from the quarter deck but sadly of all um, Ivan had disappeared and um, I mean to this day one can only conclude that it must have gone to Davy Jones locker.
0: But uh, can you share maybe a few memorable stories from your time flying on the Gannet? <sighs>
1: Ah, well I've just told you the well when I finished my time at sea um, I went back to Lossiemouth and they were short of uh, a flying instructor. I was a qualified flying instructor and um, I was asked if I would do the role, which I did, no problem at all. So I moved into the rear seat of the T5 and I was training all the pilots up. Now you remember what I was saying about the Navy did not have any flying training schools. A decision was made that the Navy were going to buy Sea Harriers and they wanted to train the pilots. They didn't want to train them at uh, uh, Honington with the Royal Air Force because uh, they wanted it pure. They didn't want to train them at uh, Lucas on the Phantoms because it wouldn't have been pure. However, they knew that 849, the Gannet Squadron, was up at Lossiemouth, mm. which was Naval, and so uh, Flag Officer Naval Air Command decided that the first Sea Harrier pilots would train on the Gannets. So three of them came up to Lossiemouth, and of course I was the uh, QFI, and I had the pleasure of training the very first three Sea Harrier pilots on the Gannets and we had a publicity morning where we took a photograph of myself, the three Sea Harrier pilots, plus the boss, and uh, that was that. That was then sent off down to Yovalton, and uh, we believe that the uh, Flag Officer, Naval Air Command, uh, his cornflakes stuck in the roof of his mouth when he saw this photograph. He said, what's the Royal Air Force officer doing on there? He did not appreciate that the Royal Air Force, me, was the uh, QFI. So he demanded that all the photographs be destroyed and never to be published.
0: But did he know that <clears> there <throat> was RAF involved in this?
1: Well he didn't at that stage. That's um,
0: really strange. However
1: as you can see I have got a copy yeah. which is in my logbook.
0: <laughs> Brilliant stuff. So overall uh, did you enjoy your time on the Gannet and how would you sum the aircraft up?
1: Yeah it was it was a unique aircraft. Um, I was in a unique position because I, I trained people on the T-5 and when I was dined out I had looked around and I had trained every single pilot on the squadron, wow. which, was, which was absolutely unique. But the other thing was that I had one extra aircraft that I could fly and that was an AS-4, the, um, the anti-submarine version, and I used to fly that in air displays. And that was a pretty hot machine because we could do 350 knots. And I did what I thought was a pretty neat uh, flying display where you come in at 300 knots with both engines going, go past the people with all this lovely double mamba sound and shut down one engine. So all they would see was the prop had stopped thinking, and then you'd pull up and do a wing over and come back, restart it. And uh, it was, it was great fun. But of course, the unique thing about the gannet was the wing fold because it d- had a double fold and uh, Because the hydraulics didn't quite work correctly in sequence if when you finished your display you flew you came past the, uh, the, the uh, Public and if you folded the wings and one would salute while the other one oh. was down very neat
0: That is very cool. How did you get that uh, job as the display pilot?
1: Because I was the QFI.
0: Oh, so you, okay, right. Was it fun?
1: Oh yes, yeah, 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 yeah. It, it, it didn't happen very often. I, mean, I displayed at uh, Finning, at um, sorry, at uh, Lossiemouth, and displayed at Yeovilton. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, did you ever have, um, just before we wrap up this bit? Uh, one question that's popped in my head: Did you ever do air shows on the boat? Yeah, because I've seen the Americans sometimes do air displays to you know like boost up morale for all the sailors. Did you do that on the Ark?
1: Uh, <coughs> we used to have. <laughs> Yes, but we also had, um, they had a splash target at the back of the ship. Mm. On the end of a very long rope would be uh, a raft, and that would create a little splash. And the buccaneers would uh, drop um, 28 pound practice weapons on it, or the phantoms would attack it with gunfire. And um, we actually were asked, if we would like to help out one day. And we fitted, because we had pylons underneath the wing, we could fit uh, ordnance on there. Okay, only little £28 practice. And we actually won the competition one day.
0: <laughs> that must have hurt some eagles.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I mean, uh, it was great fun.
0: Brilliant stuff. So we've got a question from one of our patrons, if you're okay with answering this, Trevor. Yeah. Was the Gannet a more nimble um, aircraft in the air than she looks? Uh, um, I was once told by a German Navy former Gannet pilot that she was much better than she actually looks.
1: (laughs) Interesting. Um, she was much more nimble than uh, you would think. Uh, the, I mean, the first time I got in there, I thought it was a flying bathtub. <laughs> uh, but that's a bit cruel because it, y- you 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 could do things with it. Um, and okay, it it was so ugly; it was almost beautiful. And the sound of that double mamba—it really was a, I mean, I've flown two aeroplanes that had a very interesting engine sound. One was the Vulcan and the other one was the Gannet. Um, so, uh, yeah. Mind you, the I, I never forget the uh, Olympus because I've got tinnitus these days. Oh, on decks you there all it? the time. So.
0: <laughs> Always reminded. So do you have any hobbies, Trevor?
1: Uh, I play golf. Um, I'm also uh, a golf referee, so I officiate for England golf. Um, we like to go to the cinema. Uh, we like to do gardening, and uh, yeah, generally enjoy ourselves.
0: Good stuff. Favorite aircraft you've flown?
1: That is a very difficult question to answer because they all have their attractive bits. You all, ha- they all give me good memories. And in truth, they've all got the, uh, the other side as well, because any aircraft will bite you if you uh, don't uh, treat it right.
0: I've heard uh, someone say it's like uh, your children, you love them the same, but they give you something different.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've got to say that doing a deck launch is uh, a very exciting uh, feeling. Uh, and getting back on, that really was the most uh, satisfying flying i've ever done. Um,
0: Yeah i can imagine and one aircraft you would like to fly either past or present?
1: Ah i think i've got to say the Sunderland flying boat.
0: Right interesting.
1: That that to me sounded, i mean i live by the sea uh, and fairly close to the Hamble so i was used to the idea of the uh, the flying boats and i suppose that's where it came from Uh, and uh, yeah but that was before my time, so uh, <laughs> never happened.
0: Yeah, so obviously he had at the Avro Heritage Museum. Can you tell us a bit about the museum, where we can uh, find you online?
1: Right, well the museum officially opened in 2015. Uh, we are in what was the uh, fire station at the time. Um, we have got 603 outside, we've got 602 in here, which is one of the cockpit visits we, we have. Uh, we also have cockpit visits in the uh, Lancaster, cockpit visits in the VC-10 and in the the Nimrod as well, which is outside. Uh, We have some other exhibits in the simulator building next door, the Avro 707C, which we took delivery of and we're hoping to get that on public display. We've got the Avro triplane uh, replica, of which we've just got the engine working on that. And we've also got the biggest airfix kit in the world, which is the uh, Shackleton that was in the Mozzie uh Manchester and is now here and once we've got our extension built she'll be put back together and will be on display there we do have a website avroheritagemuseum.com we are on the old airfield at Woodford which is just south of Bramhall south of Manchester so uh, easy access by road and by rail Everybody is welcome. We are open on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Private visits can be arranged on a Tuesday or a Thursday, uh, and we're open on high days and holidays. And each year we also have a Wings and Wheels where uh, it's not an air show anymore, not allowed to. But if aircraft happen to be flying by to the Southport show, like the Lancaster, Uh, we always invite them to uh, show themselves here.
0: Brilliant stuff, and also a brilliant cafe as well, so if you're hungry or thirsty, you can get up there as well.
1: Oh yes, 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 we have a good cafe there.
0: Well Trevor, thanks very much for coming on the show.
1: Thank you very much for uh, having the opportunity to uh, say uh, what I've wanted to say for a long time. Thank you very much.